The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. <sighs> you seem really nice in a strong, scary kind of a way, but my friends are um, probably waiting for me, so I'm, I'm going to just get going. You're so nervous, Elliot. How do you know my name? I'm psychic. Plus it's on your name tag. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> now then, I just want to talk business for a second. How would you like to make one simple decision that'll change your life forever? Okay, I'm glad Scientology works for you, but... Just listen. What if I told you that I had the cataclysmic power to give you anything and everything you've always dreamed of? Who are you? Promise not to tell anyone? Okay. Cross your heart and hope to die? Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, September 8th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be she really is the devil, and the she to whom I am referring is not Elizabeth Hurley from the film Bedazzled, but Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne, whose government introduced Bill 201, the Election Finance Statute Law Amendment Act 2016, introduced by Wynne's liberal majority government in an attempt to address what has been perceived as influenced peddling, corruption, and just downright criminality. To suggest that the devil is in the details of this reprehensible bill, which is about to be passed, would be a gross understatement. The difference between what most of the public has been told about election finance reform versus the reality of how it affects not just political parties, but each and every individual in Ontario who has any political interest at all, is a difference as wide as night and day. Every Ontario taxpayer will now be forced to financially support the Liberal Party, the Progressive Conservative Party, and the New Democratic Party without ever having been asked to even join their parties or to contribute to their campaigns, which are political, not about governing or about governance. So I'm sailing the just right ship on my own today as we take a look at an issue with which I personally have some unique knowledge and experience. Care to meet the devil hiding in the details of Ontario's election reform? I'll tell you right up front that this will be a very partisan political viewpoint that I'll be expressing on the show today because, of course, I am the founding member, president, and most importantly in this regard, the chief financial officer of the Freedom Party of Ontario, on whose behalf I made an official government submission back on July 27th, which I'll be sharing with you a little later. I have seen the devil in the details of Ontario's Bill 201. But first, a reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ 5130 kHz and on channel 292 at 6070 kHz. And of course, you can always visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. 
www.ontheroadtoliberty.org. Now, as partisan as my comments may be with respect to my personal relationship with the Freedom Party of Ontario, I think today's topic bears on each and every person who lives in what they like to believe is a democracy, but which no longer responds to the so-called will of the people. Sound familiar? My Exhibit A today, Bill 201, particularly affects the folks who live in Ontario, under whose current reign of Kathleen Wynne's liberal government have been witness to one scandal after another, one lie exposed after another, a complete lack of regard of the wishes of the majority, the unnecessary destruction of the countryside with unneeded and unwanted and outrageously expensive wind turbines, to say nothing of the skyrocketing electricity costs associated with all of that. That same government is now brazenly going forward with some of the most anti-democratic legislation that I have ever seen come to Ontario. Now, why are they doing all this? Well, it's, believe it or not, all in the name of transparency, that somehow they believe that transparency in political financing will somehow remedy political corruption. What's particularly shocking is how many people seem to believe this. This it just, just shocks me. One that we'll easily expose for what it isn't, is or isn't <laughs> a little later on. But most importantly, how many people in the media and the public are suggesting that Bill 201 doesn't go far enough in completely destroying the possibility of holding free elections, free of state intervention at the political level. It's hard to understate just how significant this development is. In what seems to be a very dry and relatively boring issue of election campaign financing, more specifically about its regulation and control, Yes, the devil is in the details, and we'll be meeting the devil in those details as our show progresses today. But first, we have to start with a brief history lesson, a history in which I personally participated. As a consequence, I got to meet the devil firsthand, and well, talk about red alert, holy cow. There has been a consistent history, and it began in the federal arena as long ago as April of 1993, in terms of my own involvement, 23 years ago when the federal bill, C-114, had passed its third and final reading with royal assent on May 6th of that year. And the Freedom Party of Ontario joined in protest together with a coalition of alternate parties, both federal and provincial at the time. As reported and available online in Freedom Party's Freedom Flyer, June 1993, quote, the bill, C-114, essentially prohibits any federally non-registered individuals and organizations from launching any effective information campaigns to make their political views or preferences known during a federal election. Now, of course, by placing a $1,000 spending limit on any individual or group who is not a federally registered political party, the feds have seen to it that their critics will not even be able to buy a single full-page newspaper ad to express their support of or opposition to any federal candidate or party. The spending restrictions would also have applied to Freedom Party, which was strictly a provincially registered political party with no affiliations to any federal or other provincially registered party. Let's move forward now to June 2011, 18 years later than Bill C-114 to the month, but still on the federal level. This was the period when then-Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper was in the process of, and quite properly in my opinion, eliminating the per-vote subsidy to political parties that had been put in place back in 19, 
1993. On this side of our upcoming bumper, we'll be listening in to an open-line conversation that took place on the Tom McConnell Show on June 8, 2011. Both Tom and his caller Jeff were operating on a host of misunderstandings and misinformation. Talk about getting it wrong. In addition to getting a few of their facts wrong, I totally do not agree with the views of either Tom or his caller with respect to taxpayer-funded political parties or per-vote subsidies. I think that's absolutely as anti-democratic as you can get. There's other ways parties get funded. There's other ways parties get funded. One, they get reimbursed for advertising, and two, they get tax, you get a tax subsidy when you donate directly to a party. I don't know if cutting the per-vote subsidy is the best thing. I don't know if that's the way to do it. I mean, what we want in this country is a healthy democracy. We use our tax system, okay, and our revenue system already to reward political parties. If I made a $100 donation to any party, I get a $75 tax credit. If I did it to a charity, I get a $25 tax credit. Where do you think my money's going to if I want to influence policy? I mean, it barely costs me anything. To make a $1,000 donation costs me 250 bucks. It doesn't make sense. I mean, that's the subsidy that has to be changed. That's the one that has to be changed. We already subsidize political parties. We do it huge. But the benefactor of that one is the Tories. Okay? The Tories more than anyone benefit from that one, and they're not going to change it. Jeff up in Aurelia, how are you? I'm very well this morning. How are you? I am good. I think cutting the per vote subsidy is a small uh, the per vote subsidy is a small price we pay for a vibrant democracy. The way that we should be going is that uh, we should be eliminating the tax credits and 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 increasing the uh, per vote uh, subsidy. That's the thing. I, I'm just like but Tom, the little Tom, parties. This is the one way Canadians can directly reward their parties where the tax system is not the way because if i'm a green party supporter and my tax dollars are going to support every other party this is very timely because i just got my paper uh, just now the regular packet and here's uh dave aiken who is the parliamentary bureau chief for sun media and he his article today and uh is exactly on this and the headline is per vote payday worth saving yep saying that if Flaherty is truly interested in, in 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 fiscal restraint, then it's the it's the tax credit. That's the one. That's that the biggest be, drain. Yes, and that that from a democratic standpoint, the 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 uh, per vote payday is is uh, is the way to go. Now, I say, mentioned that I think that it should be increased to four or even five dollars, so that. That there is a true demonstration because if I vote for the NDP, if I vote for the Liberals, if I vote for the Conservatives, if I vote for the Greens, my vote is a demonstration of who I support. Maybe in Canada the party should say, we're going to take the per-vote subsidy or we're going to go with no restrictions on our fundraising. But no matter what, the tax credit for a political donation has to be reduced to a level equivalent to a charity. Well, absolutely, and, yeah. and I was going to mention that because what Dave Aiken has used is he's used $100, and he, he demonstrated exactly what you said, and that is is that if you give a $100 donation uh, to, a, a, to a, uh, a party, then you're getting a $75 bucks, uh, as, a, um, as a tax credit, whereas if you give it to the Red Cross, you're only getting 25 Yeah, really. You know, well, because the politicians control the tax code, so they're going to make everything possible God, to make it. Is it 
They write the book. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Of course they're going to make the rules easy yeah. for them to get money. And and I'll bring up, in the States, they make a choice. You can get matching funds or you can't. And yep. if you get matching funds, fine. You want to get matching funds, that's fine. But if you don't get matching funds, you know what? You can spe- you can do with it what you want, no restrictions. Yeah. Okay. So Dora I think the small Dorothy. parties would be like, yeah, you know what? Give me the per vote subsidy. I'll take it. And the big parties, no, we don't want restrictions. Okay, then. You can do that as well. So it's a, it's a choice by the parties. And that, I think, I think it'll lead to, and what we really need is we can't be choking off democracy for the sake of a few million dollars. Oh, no, it's not for the sake of a few million dollars. It's for the sake of the, of the larger parties being able to lord themselves over the smaller ones. Okay, well... Uh, Cutting uh, us off from, from a democratic process. Once again. Have a good one, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Your thought on the per-vote subsidy. Should have been cut. What, how would you fund the parties? What is a way to fund the parties? What do you think we should do? CJBK in London and 610 CKTB in Niagara. Here's Tom McConnell. Robert in London, how are you, sir? How are you doing, Tom? I'm excellent. Well, should we be funding political parties in any way? No. Nothing? Political parties, and I, I own one. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be they fair. private institutions. Yep. I have been the CFO and president of the Freedom Party of Ontario since 1984. I signed the receipts, and I think there's a lot of misinformation floating around here about political tax credits versus um, direct tax funding. Okay. Political tax credits do not accrue to the party. Freedom nope. Party receives zero government funding in any way, shape, or form. Okay, but if I donate $100 to the Freedom Party... Yes. You'll get $75 back... And you'll get $100. From your, from your provincial Ontario income tax paid or payable. Okay. If you have none payable, you get zip. Well, that's true. That's a good okay. point. Okay, now here's the thing. The tax credits benefit only the poor. They How do come? not benefit the rich. It's like reverse progressive taxation, and people don't understand this. The most a person can claim, even if he gives tens of thousands of dollars to a party, is 1240 bucks as a tax credit. Okay. The guy who makes the largest tax credit is the guy who gives the smallest contribution. And the idea was, the thinking, as we were taught at the Elections Commission when they put us through all the training sessions, was that... People who don't have a lot of money don't have a lot of incentive to get into politics. They can't influence political parties. So, so they figure since the government that they might be fighting is already using their tax dollars, you know, basically against them, that they should be able to at least direct some of their already paid tax dollars to a party of their choice. Now, if they can't claim the tax credit, it doesn't affect anyone else. Nobody else is paying. It doesn't work that way. And it tops out, and it goes, and it gets increasingly less. You know, it starts off at 75% back, then 50%, then 33 and uh, you can only give up to around uh, $8,000 to a political party. With any tax credit, and after that, it's just nothing. Well, you don't even, uh, no, you max out on the tax credit pretty early. Okay. Um, you don't have to give a lot of money to max out on the tax credit. Then how, so so there should be no involvement whatsoever that, that, that it, if you want to have a political party, you got to find others to put m- their money where their mouth is for you to get the message out. Well, you know, this, this keeps some parties in power who, who don't deserve it, 
and some parties out of power who can't get in because of the tax credit. And I can tell you this from personal experience. I know on personal fundraising, on, uh, which is the only way a party should raise its money, is, is through voluntary contributions. We often do as good as the block, but we didn't get government financing. And, and with the excess money that the block got, they could stay in Parliament for years and years. Yeah. Taxpayer was paying to have, them, have their own country ripped apart. What kind of thinking is that to take? A, it, that's so anti-democratic. And I could get into the whole regulation, the price we pay for giving these tax credits, because it's the only way you're allowed to play the game. You can't get on the ballot unless you are a registered political party or a registered candidate. And they regulate the hell out of you. So it's not a pleasant playing field. And none of this stuff existed when I started with Freedom Party in 1984. They didn't regulate anything. Now they're regulating municipal election campaigns. And the government basically is making sure. And guess who the regulators are? The three main parties. Yeah. They tell all the rest of us what to do. And I have to report to them. You know, this is a scandal. We have privacy commissions going all over the place. And yet, if somebody gives me a hundred dollars and one cent, I have to put—I don't do it—but I have to report it to the elections commission, and they put the person's name online. I don't get it. Your, your vote is supposed to be private. Your, your—you know—it it boggles my mind that what's going on in the background and how the whole system is being. I, I have watched our democratic system just crumble and become corrupt in the last 30 years. Well, I guess because they wanted they they have a fear about big money. On the one side, rich individuals, should they have as much influence or corporations or unions on the other side, should they be able to wield as much influence as they do because of the money they're able to donate to political campaigns. Corporations and unions do not vote. They should not be allowed to give money to them. Okay, fair enough. That's a, that's a great point. That individuals should be allowed, but corporations they're, should yeah, not. They're not democratic agents. The, the purpose of a political party is to be a democratic agent. And all a political party is, is a collection of people who happen to share an ideology. You can't quantify that. Interesting. You can't put that in, in a box and say, this is a conservative, this is a liberal. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, most people who discover Freedom Party would call us fiscally conservative and socially liberal. That's how most people describe us, but I don't see myself that way. Bob, always a pleasure. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Tom. It was only partly tongue-in-cheek that I commented to Tom that I own a political party, you know, because, of course, actual ownership of a political party, which is merely an association of individuals sharing a common objective, is not really possible in the strict ownership sense. The quote-unquote owners would be each person who has made an investment in that association by either financially supporting it or supporting it through voluntary activity. It's not just about the various limitations on revenue and reporting that must be done, but about the gross discrepancy between the three parties that award themselves taxpayer-financed reimbursements, etc., and soon-to-be allowances on top of that, while thanks to the devil and their details in Bill 201, No such benefits accrue to the smaller parties. This article is written by Robin Urbach in the National Post on August 25th, and she writes about the Ontario legislation and gives us a little background on it under the heading, Ontario Liberals Pretend to Deliver Comprehensive Campaign Finance Reform. She writes, back in the spring, Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne grudgingly announced that the province would overhaul its electoral fundraising rules. 
At the time, the public's tolerance for the Liberals' lucrative cash-for-access fundraisers, swollen corporate donations, and unregulated third-party advertising seemed to be running short, particularly after the Globe and Mail revealed that stakeholders were spending as much as $10,000 for some one-on-one time with the Premier. Initially, the Liberals defended the notion that wealthy donors should have exclusive access to the province's decision-makers as just, quote, part of the democratic process, but they eventually capitulated to mounting public pressure and declared that they would draft campaign finance reform legislation. Now, that was several months ago, she continues, and now the government apparently hopes that either Ontarians have forgotten what caused much of the uproar in the first place or are too diverted by summer activities to notice that the Liberal proposal conveniently still allows stakeholders to pay for exclusive access to high-ranking government officials. The Liberals tabled the recommendations for Bill 201, the Act to amend Ontario's campaign finance rules, which will ban corporate and union donations and lower the caps on individual party and riding donations to $1,200 each, or $3,600 in total, which, by the way, was not what was in the bill when we were originally addressing this. This has already been changed since the bill was originally proposed. The proposed amendments, she continues, include banning government advertising 60 days before an election, placing a $100,000 cap on third-party advertising during an election, and instituting a $600,000 cap on advertising in the six months before. The amendments will not, however, prohibit construction companies vying for lucrative government contracts from shelling out thousands of dollars to dine with Transportation Minister Stephen Del Duca or pharmaceutical executives who want to bend the ear of the health minister from writing $10,000 checks to reserve a seat at the table. Essentially, anyone can still donate virtually as much as they want so long as they sign a card indicating whether they prefer chicken or fish. She writes, when Wynne announced plans to reform corporate donation rules, the government promised that the result would make Ontario's electoral financing system among the strongest and most transparent in Canada. Those who have an issue with that can take it up with the Premier at her next $10,000 per plate fundraiser. That's from the National Post. We need more money in politics, not less, says Mark Milkey in the National Post of August 24th. And he writes, quote, Let's start with a proper definition of corruption in government. When a politician or civil servant accepts a bribe to change a law or to award an undeserved contract. Here's what corruption is not. When candidates and parties accept money to run campaigns. So, so far so good. I agree with him so far. But here is the part that's really weird. He writes, quote, Of course, people donate to parties and candidates hoping that once in power, their government will advance their view on the economy, unions, business, the environment, or multiple other possible issues. But that's not corruption, he writes. So long as transparency exists in party and candidate financing, who gives what to whom? Then the rest of us can subsequently decide whether a later policy change was good, bad, or resulted from a donation. End quote. I, I just totally disagree with that. Nothing could be further from the truth than that. Th- this idea is so wrong that it completely distorts all logic and reality from that point onward in the conversation. Let's face it, look at it. If that were true, if transparency was the magic bullet to end corruption, then by definition, if, as long as you have transparency and you knew who was contributing to political parties, which we do know now, There could never be any such thing as government corruption based on what the government does. 
As long as the parties are following through on advancing their agendas, whether those agendas violate life, liberty, or property or not, then it's okay, so long as transparency of party financing exists. What if the party had no financing at all? What if it got elected thanks to great, just a great online presence which required next to no money and acted just on its agenda, no money to follow? You know, they say follow the money. Well, there's no money to follow. Not so unlike Justin Trudeau's free liberal memberships that qualified those members to advance their agendas through the Liberal Party without having to produce any financing whatever. Now there's corruption for you. That's corruption on the party level. Milky concludes, democracy is too precious to not spend more money during elections. Anyone who says differently doesn't understand the challenge of overcoming the advantages of fame, wealth, and incumbency. Or maybe they're just an incumbent in the political protection racket. <laughs> Amen to that last comment taken at face value. But in the context of Milky's transparency argument, then a politician in the political protection racket might not be corrupt at all because he's advancing his view in full light of who contributes to his campaign, even if the recipients are the people who are getting the money from the politician. Look, transparency's got nothing to do with corruption or lack of it or, or controlling it in any way. Everybody wants transparency. Nobody wants to end the corruption. So now we have transparent corruption. So what if we know that Joe Smith gave the Liberal Party a $500 contribution? What does that tell anybody? All it does is violate Joe Smith's right of a secret ballot and privacy. All we know is that Joe is a liberal supporter, and by some sort of magical implication, we have to assume that either Joe is making his contribution because he or his business have been promised a kickback or a government grant of some sort, or that Joe already supports all of the current liberal kickbacks and government grants because he's already a recipient of liberal handouts, or Joe really likes how the liberals are governing the province. We can't know any of those things. All possibilities are in play. But while everybody's kneeling at the altar of follow the money to make such determinations, nobody's heeding the far wiser and far more transparent path of follow the ideas. In politics, you can follow the money all you want in an attempt to uncover government corruption, but when you reach the end of that fiscal monetary trail, you'll always run into the same end. Some politician who will justify the spending, grants, subsidies, or whatever on the grounds that it was a sound investment for the province that somehow magically created massive amounts of private investment. That's not the route to uncovering financial uh, corruption of any kind. It's the socialist normal. You don't need transparency laws to be able to see through the motives of politicians. The key to, be, to being able to have as true a transparency as is possible is through a knowledge of philosophy, which is the driving force behind all human motivation, and in particular, the driving force behind politics. As to the kind of transparency all taxpayers really need and are not getting, here's a prime example. Canadian press Keith Leslie back in April reports that Ontario's Liberal government is under increasing pressure to release a complete list of private companies that were given billions of dollars in grants and loans. Auditor General Bonnie Lisk reported that the government had committed $2.36 billion to 374 private business projects between 2004 and May 31, 2015 with $1.87 billion in grants and $489 million in loans. But here's the point. There's no information on which companies received more than $70 million for 60 different projects. 
It's time the government clears the air on these grants and comes clean to Ontario taxpayers, said PC economic development critic Monty McNaughton. And the NDP said the Liberals should not be picking winners and losers. We need to see the grants to ensure that this wasn't simply a crony capitalism-type program where companies gave donations to the Liberals and received grants in return, said McNaughton. Economic Development and Trade Minister Brad Duguid's office said the Liberals are immensely proud of their business support programs. There you go, just what I said. There's your political corruption, and all the financing regulation in the world is not going to change one bit of that. Hello? <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'll have to talk it over with my family. Okay, bye. Who was that, Harry? Well, it's a member from the Independent Party. They said they saw me on TV. They want me to run for city council. What city council? Well, I think it's some sort of council here in the city. What council? Well, according to my civics class, that's government. Oh, Oh, this is big. This is big. We do not want to get involved in this. No, no, this will allow us to get on the inside, see how it works. What about our vow not to alter the course of the planet? Oh, please, it's only politics. <laughs> we dive in, master it, grab a few votes, get a little action, nobody gets hurt. Here, Harry, call those people back and tell them you'll run. Right, you're the boss. Sally, Tommy, you advise Harry on his campaign. I'm going to go register to vote. Well, shouldn't we all vote? No, we don't want to rouse suspicion. One in four seems right. Well, I got another stack of leaflets. How many more blocks do we have to cover? Only three more. We still have to canvas below Northern Boulevard. Oh, boy. Practically all conservative. I know, but those are the ones we have to talk to the most. Yeah, I just hope it's not like last night, remember? Yeah. Get away from my door, you radical, hippie, yippie, commie, street <laughs> hey, 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 knock it off, will ya? I got a screaming headache over here. Oh. Hi, Arch. What are you doing anyway? Oh, jeez. The two politicians are hard at it. Well, let me tell you something. If you're still working for that Claire Packer woman, you're wasting your time. Of course, this district ain't gonna put her in the assembly. That's what you think. If we get out enough votes, this could be a very close race. You want a hot tip? Put your money on Cone. He's gonna win by a nose. <laughs> Archie, that is not only an old joke, that's a bad joke. And there's also an anti-Semitic joke. That's right. It's absolutely hateful. I'm ashamed of you, Daddy. I'm ashamed of you, Daddy. You know something, if I was to have opened the mouth to my old man, like you just opened the mouth to me, he'd have let me have it right across the kiss of WAP. Oh, excuse me, bad. You can't say WAP. I'll get it. Oh, leave it alone, will you? It's another one of them election jakes begging for your votes. I want to see. What is it with her in this election? She's interested, Archie. She's voting for the first time. Oh, that's right. Youth is voting for the first time. And a little child shall lead them. Whoever said that didn't know nothing. Only this day, when the youth vote does count, political parties won't still be choosing candidates by religion like this. This is terrible. What's the matter with this? I call this representative government. That's Salvatore, Feldman, O'Reilly, Nelson. It's an Italian, a Jew, an Irishman, and a regular American. Act. <laughs> what I call a balanced ticket. Why do you always have to label people by nationality? 
course, how else are you going to get the right man for the right job? This is Tate Feldman there. He's up for treasurer. Well, let's pray for you. All them people know how to handle money. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Well, then you got Salvatore running for DA. He can keep an eye on Feldman. You know, I want to tell you something about the Italians. When you do get an honest one, you really got something there. Oh, come on, Arch. Well, and here you got O'Reilly, the Mick. He can see that the graft is equally spread around, you know? <laughs> you got Nelson, the American guy. He's good for TV appearances. Make the rest of them look respectable, you know? Where do you get all these ideas? Oh, from the College of Hard Knocks, sonny boy. I've been everywhere the grass grows green. I've seen everything there is to see. I know people. The reason you don't know nothing about people is you always got your big mouth open. You're never willing to listen to nobody. How do you do, sir? May I have a moment of your time? No. <laughs> You're listening to Just Right. And to access every broadcast of our show, we invite you to visit our online site at www.justrightmedia.org. The cynicism and prejudice that we just heard from Archie Bunker is exactly the kind of stuff that, believe it or not, most of the public kind of believes in some form or another. It's the kind of thinking that is intrinsic in the whole scheme behind limiting political financing. Everybody's a crook or has a real narrow self-interest until demonstrated otherwise. And that's just not possible to do, especially not through political financing and other issues of that nature, unless there's other evidence to indicate that there is that kind of thing going on. Now, back on July 27th, as founder, president, and CFO of the Freedom Party of Ontario, I addressed the Standing Committee on General Government that was looking at Bill 201, Election Finances Statute Amendment Act 2016. Basically, Bill 201 directly affects, of course, the Freedom Party of Ontario as an officially registered political party, but also affects all voters and taxpayers in the province in a dangerously negative way that few seem to be aware of. And they had a, a summary of eight key provisions that the bill was all about. The first one was corporations and trade unions prohibited from making contributions. Number two, nomination contestants within the party are now brought into the act. So now the, now the government wants to control activities within the party. They also want to make quarterly allowances payable to registered parties. Now that's a pleasant way of saying taxpayer-funded subsidies for the political parties on a per-vote basis. They also want to make loan guarantees more restrictive for parties. That's the fourth point. They want to restrict the amounts that third parties can spend on political advertising. That's not political parties. That's just anybody. That's you. That's me. That are, when we're not with a political party, that's a person who has an interest in a particular issue. Uh, the sixth one, restrictions on the political advertising spending of registered political parties during the six-month period before a scheduled general election period. And then they're going to, of course, have an indexation factor for inflation in adjustment based on the consumer price index for Ontario. And they have lowered the threshold that parties can reimburse their campaign expenses from 15% to 10% of the popular vote. The two points that we addressed most vehemently at the hearing, because we were only given 10 minutes, were the issue of quarterly allowances and the issue of reduced contribution limits for individuals to political parties. The very notion of political parties awarding themselves quarterly allowances 
it's offensive in the extreme. No political party, and that includes Freedom Party, should ever receive taxpayer funding, either as a reimbursement of their expenses, as they have done for many years, nor as a reward for getting votes. Under Bill 201, even our votes themselves now come at a price, and it's not merely the monetary amount self-awarded to the victors at the expense of the taxpayer. The expanded corruption comes in the form of using forcibly raised taxpayer dollars given to political parties who in turn would use those dollars as political parties, not as government, to solicit, influence, persuade, and even bribe their voters. The freedom to associate through the political party process entitles no party to taxpayer-paid privileges, allowances, or subsidies. It has to be emphasized that voters are a completely different and much smaller group than is that group we call taxpayers. Even among registered voters, rarely does a majority vote. Many Ontario taxpayers who may be landed immigrants, who may not have citizenship, who may not have reached voting age, or who may be corporations, both domestic and foreign, do not vote, yet are among those who must be forced to pay a fee to the political parties as a consequence of the much fewer numbers who do vote. And then, of course, there's all those people who vote for a party as the lesser of a given number of evils. Granting the lesser evil political party they vote for A taxpayer subsidy because of their vote is unjust and unethical. Voting is a right. It is not a privilege intended for private political parties to gain benefits at the expense of taxpayers. In effect, under Bill 201, both voters and non-voters become conscripted members and supporters of parties receiving subsidies in direct proportion to their percentage of the vote. Forget about reducing individual contribution limits. Eliminate personal contribution limits entirely. (laughs) In a free democracy, there should be no limits on how much any individual or group may raise for its long-term plans and eventual success at the polls. The dynamics of this essential process is extremely complex and does not convey the freedom of action necessary for free citizens to take political action without first clearing it with the same government with whom they may have a dispute. Bear in mind that elections are already regulated, controlled, and limited with regard to campaign spending, so the income or assets of any participant in an an election should be irrelevant. What is relevant is what the candidate or party is offering voters, period. Under those already pre-existing electoral limits and rules being in place on the spending end, for what possible reasons do you justify placing limits on how much a political party, a private association of like-minded individuals, should be allowed to raise or spend on political activity outside of any specific electoral period or campaign? Consider that the proposed greatly reduced limits on individual contributions restricts the higher portion of an individual's current contribution limit that does not in any way qualify for any tax credits or refunds. Remember, it's like what I said to Tom McConnell. I said it's, it, it's, it's like progressive taxation in reverse. Once you get up to the higher end, and it's a very low high end, you aren't getting any tax credits. Nobody's getting anything. It's private money going to a private source. No other taxpayer or citizen is affected in any fiscal way by these voluntary donations, which affect nothing in the public arena. So it's ironic that the democratic rhetoric of our time is one of encouraging people to participate in the political process, get out and vote, make a difference. That's the last thing any incumbent government wants, trust me. (laughs) Limiting private spending on political activity is a direct attack on democracy itself, on freedom of association, on freedom of thought and expression, and on freedom of political advocacy and action. It is an attack on the personal. 
Individuals who voluntarily contribute their own dollars to help create an electoral choice for voters should never be hindered or hampered in that regard. They should be thought of as the heroes and the champions of democracy. But Bill 201 insults them. The concept of democracy and free elections means being free from government intervention and interference in the exercise of our fundamental democratic rights. Bill 201 effectively ends the era of having rules limited to holding elections. It begins a new era of government rules, regulations, and restrictions for personal political activity. It is Orwellian in the extreme. They're moving from electoral regulation to political regulation. Bill 201 broadens the jurisdiction of the government. Instead of being limited to establishing objective rules for holding elections, it will now regulate directly the field of ideas and the expression of those ideas in the political marketplace and of politics itself, which is an entirely separate activity from electoral activity, two different things. Voting is a public undertaking. Politics is personal. As if to place a tiny exclamation point on that reality, Bill 201 explicitly specifies that subsection 3755 of the Act is amended by striking out, quote, third-party election advertising and substituting, get this, quote, third-party political advertising. I'm not talking about elections anymore. One can only imagine the ensuing debate that will arise about what constitutes being political. Everything is political. The government is overstepping its boundaries by a huge shot. It's moving beyond electoral boundaries in the sense of establishing rules for specific campaigns and is now proposing to move directly to regulate political debate itself, outside of the electoral process, under the pretense that it is merely regulating funding that unduly influences the legislators. What a crock. There's an assumed corruption hidden behind efforts geared towards political financing reform, whether such corruption exists or not. With each supposed reform, the public gets taken for another expensive ride, such as Bill 201's proposal that taxpayers now have to be forced to finance political parties without ever being asked to join them or to have any say with what those parties are doing. Nor do the taxpayers get a vote within the parties that they've been forced to subsidize. They pay the dues but receive no party benefits or privileges. It would be a challenge indeed to attempt to count the many ways in which this arrangement violates freedom of association. On one hand, taxpayers are forced to associate with political parties by being forced to subsidize them, while on the other hand, private individuals are prohibited from free association with a political party should some among them be able to contribute more financial resources to the effort than others. You get the point. The idea that contributions and their individual sources determine what a political party or candidate does is a complete irrelevancy, even when it's true. I mean, it's a chicken and the egg. Do the contributors donate to a political party because the party is already committed to the objectives they support? Or do the political parties draft their policies on the basis of what their contributors demand? Who cares? It's the same difference. It all comes down to their philosophies, trust, and inherent integrity of the people involved. The problem of corruption that the committee and Bill 201 are ostensibly attempting to address is one of a lack of character a lack of principles guiding those sitting in the legislature. Expecting the prohibition of voluntary donations to private political parties, including those not even sitting in the legislature, that's too funny for words, it's no solution, but it does provide more evidence of the democratic corruption in the thinking of those who are making these proposals.
It's not political parties that we elect to the legislature. We elect individuals who may or may not be a member of a political party. Party affiliation is the personal affair of a given individual. Party affiliation is a natural and proper convention that makes it possible for given majorities of common ideas and political philosophies, which are all personal matters, to act in unison and so democratically carry their agendas forward. Taxpayers should never be obligated to pay for someone else's personal political preferences and associations. But Bill 201 changes all of this. It transforms the current parties in the legislature into permanent official taxpayer-funded bureaucracies, cutting them off from the very people they are constituted to represent. Let's face it, there can be no just claims of representation and party support when the dues are forced. If we want transparency, we have to change the name of Elections Ontario to Politics Ontario. And that's exactly what I told the committee. Of course, corruption being corruption, the all-party committee has actually decided to raise their taxpayer uh, memberships, and the Liberal government has even suggested lowering the cap on donations even further from what was proposed while the hearings were on. Already, within days of the hearings being closed, the specific limits that we were told to discuss were changed. The subsidies went up, and there are no new hearings being scheduled to allow us to address those changes. So, what was that all about? Elliot, darling. Mm, so nice of you to drop by. Come into my office. Oh, don't worry about them, darling. They're having a fabulous time. Pathetic, aren't they? Everybody wants to go to the party, but nobody wants to pay the piper. exactly are we talking about? You want to see how it works, baby? Wish for something. Like what? Whatever you want. It's yours. Just say the word. Okay, I... wish I had a Big Mac and a large Coke. It is done. Hi, how are you doing? What can I get you? A Big Mac and a large Coke. Fries? No. It comes to 347. Do you have 347? I left my purse in the underworld. Oh, yes. This truly is the work of the devil. And to think that I doubted you. I'm gonna go now. But what's the problem? This doesn't prove anything. I could have done this myself. I even had to pay for it. Well, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Didn't everyone ever tell you that? Apparently not. With the standard political promise operating on precisely the opposite principle, can you blame most people, particularly the younger generations, for not knowing or understanding how violating that principle will actually affect them? Uh, you know, trying to get something for nothing? I have a question. Why restrict the political party's voluntary contribution income who depend on that sole source of income, the party so small relative to the big three that punishing them for the sins of the liberal government hardly seems equitable? While the liberals, PC, NDPers all reward their political parties with taxpayer-funded allowances and are able to still accept voluntary contributions on top of that, what can they possibly fear from a party that is so tiny a David to their three Goliaths? 
the only political party in Ontario that I know of that has actually affected the political landscape and is the party with the ideas and policies that all the others fear is the Freedom Party of Ontario. I can say that with great confidence in over a 30-year history of my direct involvement in the process at its most fundamental level. Freedom Party ended Sunday shopping prohibitions in Ontario. The party defeated the 1991 multi-million dollar Pan Am bid and was the first to expose the scandal of the latest Pan Am games held in Ontario. Freedom Party beat dozens of BIA taxpayer-funded interest groups. As the party turned its focus from campaigning on specific issues and lobbying efforts to change government policy to electoral goals, the other parties have been quietly stealing the issues introduced by Freedom Party into the electoral process, but not FP's policies. They just steal the issues, not, not our policy. From issues like beer and wine and grocery stores to policies on cannabis dispensaries, Freedom Party was the first to push those issues into the public arena on TV and radio advertising. No doubt, none of the parties in the legislature were pleased when Freedom Party achieved 5% of the vote in a London West by-election, and I'm sure that the Liberal Party was not amused when Freedom Party filed a complaint against a Liberal candidate for advertising during a blackout period. And while acknowledging Freedom Party's complaint and confirming that the Liberals had indeed breached the rules, there were, of course, no consequences to the infraction. I don't imagine that Kathleen Wynne was amused when, over this past summer, as, as we have been sharing with our Just Right listeners, when Freedom Party exposed the lie behind Wynne's supposed backtracking on banning natural gas from directly heating homes. And then, of course, she can't be too happy when Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever tweets Wynne's moral shortcomings online, online almost daily. When Freedom Party originally released its 2013 by-election radio and TV ad, the media, especially those on the right, fell in love with it. It seems like every day, Kathleen Wynne's liberals are apologizing for something they've done to you. And I am very sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry for that. The people of Ontario need to hear that I'm sorry because I am. I am sorry. Spending scandals, cover-ups, tax increases, rising electricity bills, Healthcare delays. And it's important not just for this issue, it's important going forward. So I'm sorry about this. What will Kathleen Wynne's Liberals be sorry for tomorrow? Don't wait to find out. In the coming provincial by election, elect Al Gretzky to be your MPP in London West. My name is Al Gretzky, and I am your Freedom Party candidate in the provincial by election in London West. Elect Al Gretzky. Because voting for Al Gretzky means never having to hear. And I am very sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I'm, uh, I'm able to offer. This message has been paid for by the Freedom Party of Ontario. Now that campaign saw Freedom Party's vote hit the 5% mark in London West, something you can bet that raised a few eyebrows in Queen's Park, particularly given the experience that a 5% vote for a new rival in the arena can make or break the difference between a winning and losing candidate when a race is tight. It obviously raised a few eyebrows in the so-called right-wing media, which has ignored Freedom Party's release of a similar ad to the one picking on Wynn's failings. This is funny because despite our media releases, the silence from the formerly receptive right-wing media was deafening. The first to speak will be Dalton McGinty. I'm asking you to choose change. Choose change. I'm asking you on the 2nd of October to choose change and to vote for your Ontario Liberal Party candidate.
Here's Patrick Brown, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Everything we do and stand for must be about change. Change for our party and change for Ontario. We need change in Ontario. We can make change happen. Dalton McGinty. I won't raise your taxes, but I won't cut them either. Our schools and hospitals need that money desperately. That's our priority. And as we think about what the PC party under Patrick Brown is all about, are you still the party of tax cuts? Well, you know, I, if Ontario was in a position where we can afford tax cuts, I would love to uh, limit uh, the, I would love to limit the burden that government has on on businesses, on people. I believe in fiscal responsibility, um, but I also believe uh, that we have a duty to protect the social infrastructure of the province, and that, that means the environment, that means uh, health care, it means education. The speech last night, you mentioned taxes eight times. You said that taxes were too high, but you didn't talk about cutting taxes. Premier Kathleen Wynne. We know that we're changing our climate. That's not, that's not a question. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Climate change is a fact. It is man-made. There's a widespread understanding that we are in trouble as a planet. It is a threat. We have to move on this front. You know, I, I, I see no option. We have to do something about it. And there will be a carbon price. And that something includes... That something includes putting a price on carbon. Together, we can build a new kind of prosperity. I believe that. We can build it so that it's lasting and so that it's fair. We can fight to avoid inaction, which will only lead to further inequality in the world. Compassion and prosperity go hand in hand. A green environment is necessary for economic growth. Even though the Liberals are the devils behind Ontario's current round of bad governance, Conservatives, and Conservative voters in particular, are the political problems standing in the way of reversing Ontario's slide into regressive progressivism. Not because they're conservatives, but because they've been supporting a political party that has been pretending to be in opposition to the liberals when it has instead been a liberal accelerant, throwing fuel on the fires of socialism, state control, and crony politics. The PC party has been the chief architect of the current liberal system of governance and power corruption. It is, after all, a progressive political party and includes that adjective in its name. Saying progressive conservative is the same as saying socialist conservative. It's an oxymoronic term and it comes and, and it can it has to produce oxymoronic statements and comments. You know, you hear the conservatives always railing about Patrick Brown's inconsistencies and flip-flops. Yet they continue to operate on some blind faith that so motivates these conflicting ideologies, a hodgepodge of conflicting agendas. I mean, you've got social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, libertarians, and those who think that government should just be run like a business. But what the conservatives continually deny and refuse to see is how and where Patrick Brown has remained perfectly consistent in terms of his collectivist agenda. He has never swayed from that path. Never. Everything he says, even his contradictions, are perfectly consistent with his red agenda disguised as green. The contradictions mostly occur when he's acting blue, trying to convince his own party base that he's still something called a conservative, although that virtue has been lacking in the progressive conservative party of Ontario long before the establishment of Freedom Party in 1984. You can't be red, green, and blue at the same time. That's black and white. 
However, being read allows for the greatest leeway since the, compl- you know, since the completely unattached to reality or reason roots of read ideologies allow collectivists to argue any case at any time so long as it suits their own agenda, power, control, and wealth redistribution in order to buy the power and control with the money of the very people whose wealth they are redistribu- redistributing. There are no longer any clear set of human values to be found in any of the collectivist parties particularly the value and meaning of individual freedom and its consequences. Even the very idea of consequences has become irrelevant to the Wins, Browns, and Horwaths leading Ontario's private organizations consisting of members called Liberals, Progressive Conservatives, and New Democrats. Then there's the communication challenge, the challenge of creating an informed choice within the minds of the electorate. The print media is largely on the left. It's sort of liberal New Democrat you'll find that the radio broadcast talk show media area is largely on the right wing. Not the right, but the right wing, meaning conservative, which includes fiscal, religious, social conservatives, progressive, the euphemism for socialist, and most importantly, loyal to the progressive conservative party, even if it no longer in any way coincides with the values associated with it. And that's the simple broad strokes dynamics of this situation. So that begs another question. Where does a true party of the people fit into such a dynamic? Like a freedom party. As a political party and compared to the liberal PCNDP status parties, freedom party is the automobile to their horse and buggies, the smartphone to their operator-assisted dial-up calls, the party of 21st and 22nd century politics and beyond against their medieval and class-based politics of centuries gone by. Freedom Party is the party of capitalism versus the parties of crony. The party of dialogue versus the parties of monologue. The party of principle versus the parties of status. So you can see that from where a guy like me sits, it's a bit like matter and antimatter. Not only don't they politically mix, (laughs) but also in the sense that FP is the party that matters, while the others are just matter. I also want to emphasize that my criticisms, bear this in mind, are not directed at government per se here, but at the political parties and their private members, the folks who are now rewarding themselves with your money if you live in Ontario. What government does is a direct consequence of what political party members and leadership choose to do, which starts at the political party level. Even if voters make some terrible mistakes in the future, as they have clearly done with McGuinty and Wynne's liberals, at least the electoral process in Ontario up until now made it possible for a party outside the political establishment to form and offer an effective opposition. By tilting the playing field entirely in their favor and against the favor of any new parties, that possibility has been made increasingly difficult. That's why all of this matters so much, whether there's a Freedom Party around or not. Are you listening, Ontario? If not, then you'll soon be experiencing the lesson without ever having learned it. Think electricity prices. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And with that, we'll have to wrap up this round of Just Right as I invite all of you to listen into our next broadcast. So join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, act right, think right, and of course, be right back here. We'll see you then. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Why should I vote 
For Frank Gansmiller, you ask? I didn't ask. Uh, Mary won't let me get away with anything, will you, Dick? <laughs> Nothing, Frank. <laughs> Why should I vote for Frank Gansmiller, Frank? Good question, Dick. Because I want to take money out of the drug dealer's pockets and give it back to the people. Oh, Frank's right. I want some of that drug money. 